When I was growing up, four men, four very good men, played a real central role in my life. First, there were the three uncles, the uncles. Kind of the way we said it is like capital T, capital U. Are the uncles coming? And then there was my dad. The uncles were my mother's three brothers. She was the youngest of four. Her older brothers were John, Mike, and Tommy. Known to us as Uncle John, Uncle Mike, and Uncle Bosco, actually. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you in particular about two of them tonight. But first, a little bit about the uncles, collectively. They were um, priests. And as a Catholic kid growing up in the 1960s and 70s, that was a big deal. That made me kind of cool, um, at least in my eyes. And um, not, only, not only were they priests, but they were missionaries. Yeah, right? So they, they were double cool. I mean, so, you know, they would kind of fly in every now and then. Um, they never lived in Albany again after they became adults and embarked on their vocations. When they did come back, their parents had died at, you know, when I was quite young. And so pretty much for all of my life and childhood, our house was the only house they had in Albany. So we saw a lot of them when they were in town. Real central part of my life. The oldest was Uncle John. And, um, you know, I, I don't think I ever would have used this term at the time, but he was definitely a hero to a six-year-old kid, eight-year-old, nine, ten-year-old kid. Um, the uncles were missionaries, so that meant they worked and lived in incredibly strange-sounding, exciting places. Panama, Ethiopia, New Jersey. <laughs> the places I never thought I would ever have to go. <laughs> Like I said, he was the oldest of the bunch and, and kind of had that, that oldest kid swagger, too, right? So um, great sense of humor, life of the party, um, very down to earth, great storyteller, joke teller, fluent in a ton of languages. So when Uncle John came home, that was, that was a big deal. And when he did come home, even how he got there was cool. Because back then, he was the only person that we knew who had ever flown on an airplane. In fact, I was probably the only kid on our block who knew someone who had flown in. <laughs> I mean, this was a big I, I don't know about you, literally, we used to, there were summer nights, we'd get in the ice cream cone and drive out to the airport and watch the planes take off and land again. I mean, airplanes were that novel. It was a big deal. Um, a couple times, actually, when Uncle John didn't come home on an airplane, once or twice, he came from Panama to Albany on a banana boat. Went down to the Hudson River. I remember going down to the Port of Albany, the Hudson River, to meet Uncle John. This big ocean-going freighter, actually. They called it a banana boat, but it was basically a cargo ship with a very small crew, tens of thousands of bananas, and one missionary. <laughs> <laughs> he was really cool. Even, even his snacks. The way he ate was cool, and his way with words. He would, he, when I was maybe five, six or seven, I guess, he taught me about his favorite snack. He would take graham crackers, crumble them up in his hands, and dump them into a bowl. And then he'd pour 
warm or hot milk over the graham crackers. Just eat it with a spoon. With brown, lumpy. So he called it puke pudding. It was delicious. Don't knock it until you try it. say puke pudding in front of my mother, except that Uncle John was the one who told me, so that was okay. Um, but of course, you know, he had a serious side too. He had a way with words and a way of connecting with us um, about important things too. We would sometimes have mass around the dining room table, just the family. That was a, that, that, that just brought a level of intimacy and realness to my faith that, that, that in some ways is, is still with me to this day. Um, he, he knew how to reach people, he knew how to touch people. My dad, kind of the other, the other star of this story, um, was also a really good man, is a really good man. Um, but he wasn't a missionary, didn't take business trips to the jungles of Panama. He was a chemical salesman, actually. Uh, traveled the highways, the byways, the back roads of upstate New York and New England, selling muriatic acid, turpentine, and sulfuric acid, and all these kind of... So it's like, he had strange sounding things too, but they were kind of... If you can imagine this strange in a boring way, instead of strange in, strange in an exotic way. Um, but I love it. He was a great, great dad. He, um, he always showed up was one thing. He was always there for us. I remember one time I was in fifth grade and was uh, in the fifth grade history pageant. In fact, I had one of the big parts in the fifth grade history pageant, played Francis Scott Key, who wrote the Star Spangled Banner. And the night of the show, my father wasn't going to be able to make it because he had actually a business obligation of some kind. And I was bummed. You know, I didn't show it a lot, but, but I really wanted him to be there. So during the day, we do the dress rehearsal for the whole school. And there I am standing out on the stage Lights like this kind of shine on me. I'm wearing this <coughs> facsimile of a revolutionary frock coat that my mother made out of my pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, reciting the Star Spangled Banner. And kind of off near those doors, or back in the corner, in the gym doors, is a chemical salesman with his overcoat and his suit coat and his tie watching me. He showed up. He also loved to teach. Never, stepped, never set foot in a classroom as a teacher in his life, but I still remember some of the stuff he taught me. You know, basketball, you know, how to make a layup right. He was, he was big on technique, you know? So you always, if you're doing a right-handed layup, you jump with your left foot. Tommy, if you're doing a left-handed layup, jump with the right foot. Simple little things like that. You'd have you do it, do it, until you remembered it. How to field a ground ball, same thing. <laughs> Sometimes not so fun. How to wallpaper a room. <laughs> he had a technique for that too, unfortunately. Um, he did 
loved to teach people stuff. In fact, he was as a salesman, he eventually became the district manager of this particular company and had other salespeople working for him. And nothing made him happier than to see people that he cared about succeed. Nothing. Now, that was also the life of the party. I mean, he was not a shy, retiring guy. You don't sell much muriatic acid if you're a shy, retiring guy. <laughs> Stand out late lots of nights. He didn't have to travel overnight very much. His territory was pretty much, you know, within 50, 80 miles of home. Um, but lots of late nights, you know, drinking the scotch. It's part of making the deal. Um, and uh, he loved my uncles, actually. They were kind of like three other brothers to him. So when they came home, they were, they were buddies. Um, but it was still, you know, they would sit in the backyard, have a cigar, they'd watch a ball game together. But it was still a fact that he had these three other men, his wife's three brothers, that very often were also central to the family life, right? And so there was a, a generosity or a graciousness about that that I didn't really notice back then, but it, but it was there, you know? Um, in a sense, he kind of taught me how, how hospitality could be heroic. He really stepped it up, though, and taught me some stuff when I was in high school and college, things that neither of us would have chosen to have him teach me. Because that's when my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer, and she died when I was 19. So for those six years, saw my dad juggling work and caring for my mom, and she was the pillar of the family in a lot of ways, just an incredible woman. Um, and like I said, she died when I was 19. I remember as she got sicker and sicker, I actually did see a different side to the two of them in their relationship. And I saw an, a sensitivity or a knowledge and a wisdom in him that I didn't know or hadn't noticed before. I remember, I don't even remember, I don't remember where we were, but I happened to be there one point, very late in my mother's illness. And she's kind of telling both of us what dress she wants to be buried in. And I'm kind of, you know, she said the green one. I'm like, oh, this green one, that green one. And my father's like, Tommy, I, I know what dress it is. Oh, of course you do, Dad. Um, so my mom passed away, and I am the fourth of five in our family. So my mom died. It was very tough on all of us. We were all heartbroken, grief-stricken. But it was especially hard on my younger brother, John. John was only 12. When my mother died, she was 54, my dad was 55. And so, again, we suffered, we older kids, but we kind of were on our way. We were adults, young adults at least. 
But my dad, the 55-year-old chemical salesman, now has a 12-year-old boy to raise by himself, pretty much. And um, John had been very, very close to my mother. And John's adolescence wasn't easy, you know. Surprise, surprise. He um, struggled in school, had some alcohol and drug problems that were scary, scared us all to death for a while, but he kicked it. He went into rehab as a young man, a teenager. And dad, again, showed up. He was there for all of that stuff. His life had changed dramatically. The two of them actually became kind of this, this their own version of an odd couple, you know? 12-year-old and 54-year-old bachelors. <laughs> kind of making, making their way together, learning how to cook, whatever. <laughs> Those lessons I'm glad I wasn't there for too many. So, um, that they kind of worked out their thing, you know? And they had each other. And then John died. When he was 24, he died of cancer. And it wasn't a six-year-long progression like my mother's. Not that I would wish either scenario on anybody, but it was sudden and shocking. We, none of us really had time to process it before we knew that John was dying and, and he died. The church was packed the day of John's funeral. Packed. His young friends, see all these boys of 23, 24, 25 who've never lost anybody trying to hold it together in a tie that they can barely tie, you know, kind of still awkward. All of us just heartbroken. But I was so glad that my Uncle John was up on the altar and my Uncle Mike, you know, that we had priests there that knew us, um, that we could count on. And I sat in the church and I listened to Uncle John and he, he started articulating kind of for all of us, some of what we were feeling and wondering. He was talking about what an incredible kid John had turned into in his short life, and with all of his struggles, how gentle he remained, and how kind, how funny and witty. And, and Uncle John asked rhetorically, and who do we have to thank for that? You know, why did John turn out the way he did? It's obvious. His mother. His mother? I, um, I revered my mother. But at that moment, mm -hmm. I couldn't believe my ears. Mm -hmm. And my feelings quickly moved from puzzlement, surprise, to anger. I can't believe you just said that. To my ears and eyes, I had just seen my dad relegated to the sidelines, kind of heard my uncle looking past the guy in the front row of the church and looking past and beyond the last 12 years. 
And it took me a long time. I held on to that anger, actually, for a long time. Never confronted my uncle about it. Never asked my dad about it. Um, I don't even know if he heard it the same way that I did. I don't know if my dad was hurt by that. Actually, over time, I dawned on me, for all I know, and very likely, he loved hearing his beloved wife praised again. But that, I, again, I don't know, but I certainly know that, that I can't assume anything, certainly not of Uncle John's intentions, nor what my dad felt, but at the time, I heard from myself and I heard from my father, who had become such a hero for me. But, again, as I held on to this, and sometimes these things do take a lot of holding on to, um, someone told me, someone told me that, or helped me see, I was telling the story one time, and then, you know, it was kind of like, duh, he was grieving too. All of us in that church, the grief for my mother's death had risen to the surface of every single one of us that day. And there was Uncle John talking about his 12-year-old, 24-year-old nephew now, named after him, remembering his baby sister died way too young. He was grieving. You know, I was waiting for the perfect, cool, just right words from the missionary that had it all together. And what I saw maybe for the first time was the, was the human big brother. Heroism comes in lots of shapes and sizes, is kind of what I've been telling myself these days. It's heroic to raise five kids, to do it for six years while you've got breast cancer, to say goodbye gracefully. It's certainly heroic to be the husband of that woman and to step in and raise a 12-year-old boy by yourself. It was heroic to be a 12-year-old through a 24-year-old, to be a young teenager grieving your mom's death and be there for your dad. Become one half of that odd couple. And it was heroic to not be the cool, swaggering, wisecracking uncle, but to be the real and the broken and the human big brother. 